0: And I want to thank... Benjamin for supporting us using the Zell app, sending to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Thanks so much for your support, Benjamin. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to Patreon.GreatDetectives.net. Also, I want to thank our latest Patreon supporter. You can become one of our Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Thank you to MCF for becoming a Patreon supporter at the... uh, Seamus, level of four dollars or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date, November twenty fifth, nineteen fifty one, and the title is "The Roping of Joe Landis."
1: The NBC Radio Network is now entering its second quarter century as the leader in radio programming. Now it's The Silent Men on NBC.
2: The Silent Men, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks in The Silent Men. Transcribe stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government... ...and their relentless fight against crime. And now here is Douglas
1: Fairbanks. One of the prime requisites of a federal special agent is a thorough knowledge of undercover work. There are times when an agent must be able to transform himself into a convincing criminal. He must know the habits of the underworld, the talk, the psychology and the modus operandi of the habitual criminal. On his ability to fit himself into any situation and to assume any role necessary, an agent's life may, and often does, depend. In tonight's file case, in which I play the part of Special Agent Tom Brackett, such an undercover operation was required. It is entitled, The Roping of Joe Landis. Word had come in from our San Francisco field office of an unusual bargain sale out on the coast. Somebody was selling counterfeit $20 bills for two. As soon as the bills broke, Jim Curtis flew out from Washington. Five weeks later, I received orders to join him. I'd been told the District Chief Mike King would be waiting for me at the airport. He wasn't. So I got to a phone booth. Hello? Who is this, please? What number are you calling? Isn't this the federal building? That's
0: right. What department did you
1: want? Is this the department that investigates things for the government? Would
0: you mind stating your name, please?
1: I, um, um, just wanted a little information. Yes? It's about money. Counterfeit money. I wanted to know how you can tell if it's being passed. Oh, I see. Hold on a minute. What are you trying to do, record this conversation? Will you repeat that? I said you're going to record this conversation and then you're going to have this call traced, aren't you? See, who is this, anyway? I can save you the trouble, Chief. I'm calling you from a phone booth at the airport <laughs> where you were supposed to meet me. Crack it! Oh, <laughs> <break> it! <laughs> you screwball! Get yourself a cap and come on down to the office right away. Right. <laughs> Ah, that was quite a line of double-talk you were dishing out, Chief. Is that SOP now for all telephone calls? (laughs) (laughs) Right out of the manual. (laughs) Tell them nothing until they know who they are and why they want to know it. Where's Jim Curtis? I thought he'd be here. Yeah, you're meeting him later on. Here? No, no. Jim's a working man now. He's gone into the printing supply business. A plant? That's a good way to know a lot of printers and engravers. You think the stuff's being printed here in San Francisco then, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Here, you take a look at one of the bills they're passing. Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty good, Chief. That engraver knew his business. That portrait of Jackson's a honey. Uh, The color's a little light, though, especially Mm. the green. Yeah, I noticed that. The serial numbers are sloppy. Printed typographically. Yeah, the last two serial numbers and the letter A are blurred on some of the notes. Not all of them. Uh. How many broke here in San Francisco? We got 32 that were passed here in town the last five weeks. 32 in five weeks? Sounds like a small operation. We have reason to believe this has only been a trial run. Just getting ready for the big push, eh? Mm-hmm, they have been testing this, huh? Any leads? Well, Curtis will bring you up to date. He'll be waiting for you in his car in front of Pier Sixteen down at the waterfront. Okay. Well, this shouldn't take long. All I want is the name of the people who are passing the queer, the location of the place it's being printed, the name of the engraver, and the plates to convict him with. And the plates, always the plates. <laughs> within an hour, I was heading for my appointment with Jim Curtis. It was damp and foggy, as only the San Francisco waterfront can be foggy. Curtis saw me first. Hey, over here, Tom, in the car. Hi. Welcome to San Francisco, Mr. Brack. Ah, You sound like the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, sure. I'm a solid citizen now. Uh, Chief, tell you about my job? Selling printing supplies, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? I'm quite a salesman. Anything promising? I'm kind of interested in a guy who runs a small plant. Got friendly with him. Found out he's not adverse to making a fast buck. Hmm.
2: Said he'd print phony whiskey labels if I knew where to sell them.
1: So I ran a make on him. What'd you find out? Name is Landis. Joe Landis. Was a top engraver in New York some years ago. Found anything to tie him in with the bad notes? Not exactly. He steers away every time
2: I bring the matter up. But he's moved his plant three times in the last four months, and some of the 20s always
1: show up somewhere near his shop. Well, certainly seems to be worth a little undivided attention. Where do I fit in? Well, now, look, I've told him about you coming out here. You're supposed to be a
2: guy I work for back. east, man with a big bankroll looking for profitable investments. Oh. Not necessarily legitimate ones. Huh? He's more than willing to meet
1: you. Now, what name do I use?
2: Your own. Good. When do I meet him? I'll bring him up to your hotel tomorrow afternoon, Tom.
1: Where are we heading now?
2: Oh, got a little job to do. Landis moved to this shop today, and I
1: thought we might as well take a look at the place he moved from. Never can tell what he might have left behind, you know. Well, it's worth a try. Yeah. Better stop here and walk. Uh, take this flashlight, with you? Sure. Got a gun? Not with me. Think I'll need one? <laughs> you never know. He's a mild little guy, this Landis, but you never know. That is it. I think we'd better go around back. Be an easier door to open. Uh, how are you, Unlocked? Not too good. Ah, no problem. It's unlocked. Yeah. Well, they sure didn't do much of a cleanup, Jeff. Hold the light on this carton of junk here, will you? I'm, I'm going to empty it. All right. Ah, bits of scrap metal, some lead type. Right, wait a minute. Here's something. Yeah, feel this paper. Hey, you can print money on this stuff. Jim, look. There's another piece with numbers on it. Looks like they were running a proof. 49A. All Right, let me see that, Tom. 49A. Brother, maybe we got something. 49A, that's the last three figures on the serial number the phony he builds. Quiet. Someone's at the door. Let's get out of here.
3: Who's there?
1: Be it, Tommy. You're on your own. Right. See you tomorrow. I registered at the Vendôme, a downtown hotel that caters to men of dubious occupation. I spent the next couple of hours at the bar downstairs establishing myself as a visiting Easterner who had some money to throw around. The next day, I followed the same procedure. About two o'clock, I went up to my room to change. Shortly after, there was a knock on my door. Who's there? Curtis. Jim Curtis. Jim, nice to see you. Come in. Oh. Heard you got in, so I thought I'd come up and say hello. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Tom. Joe Landis, meet Tom Bracken. Oh, I'm glad to know you, Joe. I'm happy to know you. Sit down, men. I'll fix your drink. Uh, not for me, please. My, my wife insists that I don't drink during the day. Jim? Yeah, sure, I'll have one. I'm still single. Okay. Uh, Joe, here's a printer, Tom, and a good one. I told him that uh, most likely you could throw some work his way. Yeah, I can use a good printer. I do good work, Mr. Brackett. Very good work. Here's your drink, Jim. Oh, nice. Can I talk to you straight, Landers? Uh, yes, yes. You think I'd have brought him up here if you couldn't? Tom? I just wanted to be sure. This job I have for you, Landers, is, um, well, a little, uh, unorthodox, if you know what I mean. Uh, perhaps I should make myself clear at this point, Mr. Brackett. I'm a printer and engraver, and that's all. So, if you have anything in mind that's not good printing practice, I... and I'm afraid Jim here may have given you the wrong impression. What kind of talk is this, Curtis? You know my type of operation. What would you bring him up here for? I'll get him myself. Joe, you told me... I told you... you nothing. You said your friend might throw some work my way. Well, I need work badly, but not the kind he had in mind. What kind of a steer was this, Jim? You know I don't have time to waste on things like this. Yeah, it's nice to have met you, Mr. Brackett. But there's no need for me to stay. My wife is waiting for me. She's a very excitable woman, and if I keep her waiting ten minutes, she, well, you know the way some women are.
2: Look, Landis, I don't get I'll it. I'll say
1: good afternoon, gentlemen. I must get back. Okay, Landis. Jim, you stay. I want to talk with you. Boy, did you ever louse me up. Well, now, Joe here isn't the only printer in town, good you know. Good afternoon. Don't... Oh, that lay an egg. After finding that proof sheet with the serial numbers last night, after him asking me to peddle bootleg whiskey labels for him, he pulled the Righteous Indignation Act. Mm, I don't know. He was watching me pretty closely. Something might have made him suspicious. Why did he come at all? Maybe to look me over. If Landis is our man, he'll be checking up on me. And if he's satisfied, nah, a mountain will come to Mohammed. Yeah, okay. See you later, Mohammed. Mohammed. <laughs> I spent a pleasant, though expensive, few days making the rounds of the bars. I bought a lot of drinks, and I talked to a lot of characters. But more important, I established a personality for Tom Brackett, East Coast operator. Not being used to such lush living, I finished up Sunday night with a floating headache. I slept till late afternoon the next day. I was coming out of the shower when the phone rang. Hello? Mr. Brackett? This is Brackett. Joe Landis talking. Landis? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The man who was in to see me last week. I'd like to talk with you. I'm here in the hotel. Sure, come on up to my room. I'm downstairs at the bar. How about joining me there? More privacy in my room. Well, if you don't mind, I'd
0: rather you came down.
1: All right. No difference to me. You'll be alone, won't you? All alone. (laughs) All alone. Hello, Mr. Brackett. Sit down. Well, nice, cozy little corner, you picked, Landis. We can be alone and at the same time see what's going on. Why wouldn't you come up to the room? Afraid of something? Uh, no offense, Mr. Brackett. <laughs> My wife helped plan these little things, and she thought it'd be better this way. I would have called you sooner, but we've been a little upset about your friend, Curtis. Well, I'll hardly call him a friend. What's he done to upset you? And the missus is certain that he's a... well, an informer for the police... Hmm, could be. Haven't seen him for nearly three years. What makes you think so? Well, we moved our plant last week. And the next night, my wife went down to see if we'd left anything important behind. When she got there, she surprised a man inside the building. She saw him. It was Jim Curtis. She's positive? Yes. She found something that had dropped out of his pocket. Absolute identification. When was this? Night before we came to see you. That's why I wouldn't talk in front of him. Good idea. I'll check on him. If what you say is true, well... I, uh, understand that you're looking for investment. That's right. And that you have the necessary cash to close the deal that looks good to you. Let's cut out the oratory, Landis. What's on your mind? Well, it's this way. Supposing I had some friends, very clever ones, who could turn out an excellent copy of a $20 bill. Well, I'd like to see one so I could judge for myself. Supposing you could buy these bills for $10 a hundred. I'd still want to see the stuff. Reach under the table. huh You have it? Yeah. Careful how you hold it. Don't let it be seen. Hmm. Your friends aren't as clever as you think. Colors are too light. Serial numbers too heavy. Last two numbers and the A are out of line. They passed more than 70 of these with no trouble. This queer would have to be taken out of the country, maybe Mexico. If I handle this stuff at all, it's as a dealer. Uh My friends would be very amenable to this. However, I would have to discuss our little talk with them... Uh, you'll handle this, uh, merchandise? Yeah. At a price. I'll keep this sample. Oh, no, 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 no. Gladys, uh, that's my wife. She wouldn't think of it. All right, all right. But tell your friends I don't buy till I see all of it. And the plates, too. I want a guarantee of future delivery. The plates? Huh, I hardly think that they... That's, that's that... the only way I'll know that I'm dealing direct. I'm not interested in working through jobbers. Uh, I'll tell them. And, uh... You take care of Curtis? I'll do a little checking first. If you're right... Good. When I got back to my room, I called the chief. He arranged a meeting that night between Curtis, myself, and him at Golden Gate Park. I took a roundabout route, checking carefully to see that I wasn't being followed. I found them there, sitting on a bench... Hi, right, Chief. Move over. does <laughs> it feel to be one of the most publicized crooks that's hit San Francisco <laughs> in a good many years? Oh, it's paid off. There's no doubt that Landis checked on me before he made the contact. Uh, he must have. All right, let's have it. There's someone else in it with him, too. Sounds like a small operation. I gather his wife knows about it and is more than a little nervous about the whole thing. Well, maybe we can prescribe a sedative. Uh, did you get to see one of the bills? Yeah, yeah, but he wouldn't let me keep it. When did you see him again? He said he'd call me. We've hit a snag, Chief. Mrs. Landis saw Curtis leaving the old print shop last week, the night we found the proof sheet. Hmm. That's bad. She positive. Landis tells me she's got absolute proof. Huh? What kind of proof? I don't know. I didn't want to press too hard. Well, that makes a tough Tom. you have to move fast. Force a showdown. Yeah. Did the boys on the stakeout get anything new today? Descriptions of a few people going into Landis' shop... One of them was Ed McLoy, frequent boarder at some of our better prisons. Ed, hey, tell them about the Navy, Chief. Sam, we got the whole U.S. Navy working on this with us. The Navy? Yeah, I was yeah. coming around to that. This afternoon, Mrs. Landis came out of the alley with a package wrapped in newspaper. She drove to the Oakland Bridge, stopped a car, and threw the package into the water. We want that package, so we called in the Navy. And what can they do about it? They're sending divers down in the morning to try and find it. So come on, let's drive out now and see how they're doing. I got to talk to Lieutenant Saunders. He's in charge. Think they'll find it? It's a big ocean. Yeah, it's a big navy.
2: Glad you got here, Chief. Just got word from meteorological boys. They've marked off five areas in which the package might be found.
1: Well, I'll be how in the world did they figure that out, Lieutenant. Sort of naval magic, you might call it. Huh. We have the spot from which it was dropped. They've taken the estimated weight of the package, the wind velocity, speed of the ocean currents, and the topography of the ocean bottom. And they added, subtracted, and multiplied, and the answer is five areas to search. Yes. Can't say that I anticipate success, Mr. King, but my divers can use the practice. Well, when will you know? Late tomorrow afternoon. Should be finished by then. Um, one thing, Chief. From yes, Tom. On what did you base the estimated weight of the package? On the weight of a set of zinc plates. That's what I think the lady was anxious to get rid of. And, as I told you, we know, you, you want, want those, those plates. plates. <laughs> I spent the next day in my room waiting for Landis to call. When he hadn't, by six o'clock, I was sure something had gone wrong. I was about to contact the chief and tell him so when the telephone rang. I let it ring again. Yeah. Landis. Who? Joe Landis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you got enough cash to close a deal tonight? Yeah, if we make a deal. All right. What kind of suit are you wearing? Brown tweed. Why? Hat. Light tan. Be in front of the merchant's building at 7 o'clock. Stand at the curb and a light panel truck will stop and ask you if you want to lift. You ask how far they're going and if they say McLoy Hotel, it's all right. Come alone. If there's anyone with you, they won't stop. All right, but it's got to be done tonight. I'm leaving town in the morning. It'll be done tonight. I stood in front of the merchant's building and waited. The climax was shaping up and I felt the tingling excitement that always hits me when I get close to the final big play. It's an excitement that has a little fear in it, too. I reminded myself that Joe Landis, for all his pleasant face and soft talk, could and would use a gun if he had to. Ed McCloy picked me up as scheduled and drove me to a little print shop on 10th. You made it all
3: right? Joe, I don't like
1: this. Oh, Mr. Brackett, this is my wife. Mm, How do you do? Always work this late, Joe? Uh, some handbills to get out. Grocery store on the corner. Weekend specials. You can finish that later. Shut it off, Joe. And look better if the press was working while we talk. Just in case someone... Turn the thing off. We're all right.
3: What did we need this for, Joe? Lots of printers make good livings. Just...
1: Joe, tell her to keep quiet, will you? Now, turn the thing off.
3: Baby, you've got to stop worrying.
1: Let's get down to business. All right. Joe tells me you're interested in a hundred grand. Yeah. At a price. Let's see him.
3: Don't do it, Joe. I got a feeling about this, a bad feeling. It's just driving me crazy. We'll burn it. Burn it all This up. woman
1: of yours gives me the willies, We've Joe. We've got
3: to have the money.
1: They're,
0: they pull me in for
1: writing bad checks. We've got to do it. You go home and wait for Joe, Gladys. We don't need
3: you. I stay with Joe. Let her be.
1: All right. Bracket, you ready to buy tonight? That's what I'm here for, isn't it?
3: What was Jim Curtis doing in our shop? That's what I want to know. Brackett said he'll handle Curtis Gladys. Now stop thinking about it.
1: Just give me the proof he was there and, and I... Gladys picked this up off the floor. Must have fallen out of his pocket. Now, let's see it. Huh. Let me keep this. I can make good use of it. I don't know. Should I, Ed? Give it to him. All right, now, about this deal. I want to see the money. All of it. It's hidden in the back room. Come on, let's go. Okay, take a look. 7,000 genuine and it's yours. And uh, that's only because we need the money in a hurry for future deliveries. We'll have to deal again. It's a deal. Give us the money and take it away. Uh, you don't think I carry a roll like that with me, do you? you? Guys have been knocked off for a lot less. No, it's in the vault at my hotel. That's no good to us. Joe,
3: why don't you and me go home? McCly can handle it himself. No, you
1: you go yourself. I want to be around when Ed gets the money, and I want my share.
3: If you stay, I stay.
1: Bring the notes to my hotel. I'll pay you there. Uh Uh-uh, no good.
3: We'll have the stuff in the car, and up will come a policeman. Joe, it isn't too late.
1: Oh, why don't you keep quiet? All right, now, here's how we'll work it. I'll go with you to your hotel, and you get the money. In the meantime, Joe will get a room for you in another hotel. You know which one, Joe. Yeah, I know. All right, when Joe calls us that everything's all right, we'll go there and close the deal. That's all right with me. Now, Landis, let's see the plates. I tell you, I got them, Mr. Brackett. Isn't that enough? No. Don't do it, Joe. Don't do it. You've got to keep your voice down, Gladys. I told you, Landis, I want to see those plates. If not, I don't buy. I've got to know you can keep on printing them. All right, show them to him, Joe. They're outside. I'll get them. See, hides them in a garbage can. Made a false bottom. Keeps them there. Some of our competitors want them pretty bad, not to mention the police. They're valuable. Yeah.
3: Joe's going to be surprised.
1: What about? What are you talking about now?
3: The plates. He isn't going to find them. Nobody's going to find them ever.
1: What?
2: Where are they? Where'd you put them? Tell me I'll. We'll
3: sell this bunch. Then we're through. Joe's a good engraver. He doesn't need this kind of work. You got him into this.
2: Where are those plates?
3: A place where they'll do us no harm at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean.
1: The chief's hunch had been a good one. Like he thought, the plates were somewhere on the ocean bottom near the Oakland Bridge. McCloy was furious, and for a moment I thought he was going to kill her. But Joe promised me that he could have another set of plates in two or three months. He'd made two sets of negatives and said he could turn out all the twenties I wanted, so I let myself be persuaded to go through with the deal. McCloy drove me to my hotel. After Landis called, I got my package of marked money and we drove to the Roxanne Hotel, a dirty little place near Chinatown. Landis and his wife were waiting for us. We had the lobby to ourselves. The clerk was conveniently absent. Everything all right, McGloy? Yeah, it seems to be. Where's the stuff, up in a room?
3: We didn't get a room. That's dangerous. We'll go out in the car and you follow us later. We'll blow the horn, then you come outside. We'll switch packages... Then we can get away
1: fast. I'll wait here with Brackett. Keep him company.
3: Come
1: on, girl. The Landis's are what you might call cautious, eh? Yeah. No guts. Mm. You know, with his talent, he could be worth a million bucks. Now, mm. yeah, that's it. Come on. I'll get in the car, too.
3: Take the money. Quick.
1: I'll take that carton first. All right, here it is. Now the money.
3: That man coming this way. It's that Curtis.
1: Here's the money. It's all in this envelope.
3: There's another man with him now.
1: All right, step on it, Joe. Hi, Joe, Mrs. Landis. Uh, We're in a hurry, Jim. Get out of the car, all of you. Special agent, federal government.
3: He's he's got a gun.
1: Chloe, I'll take your gun. Hand it over. Thanks. Now get them out of the car, carton.
3: You see, it's just like I said, Joe. And you laughed at
1: me. I'm sorry, baby. I, I shouldn't have laughed. All right, come along, folks. My boss wants to meet you downtown. Sit down. We're going to have a little talk.
3: Don't you say anything, Joe. Nothing at all. You better let us go, mister. We know our constitutional rights.
1: Will you quote me the passage that gives you the right to process, manufacture, and distribute counterfeit money?
3: My husband's a printer. He rented his shop to Mr. McCloy. What he did there, we don't know. Oh,
1: that's interesting. And you've never
3: met Special
1: Agent Tom Brackett before, huh?
3: Never saw him in my life till he walked over to the car.
1: And you, McCloy, what have you got for us in the way of a yarn? Me? I'm stupid. I know when I had it. Well, yeah, back to you, Mrs. Landis. Our information is quite complete. Now, here's the way it reads. Joe Landis, one of the country's top engravers, designed and created a set of zinc plates... For the manufacture of spurious $20 bills.
3: Joe never saw any plates, let alone design them. Well, a
1: man of your husband's skill, Mrs. Landis, makes identification
3: positive. You've got no plates, so you can't prove it. We've
1: got the man you brought in to fix your offset press when it broke down. He saw a reverse plate of the bill on it when he was doing his work. And we've got the woman who was passing the bills for you. We
3: don't know what you're talking about. Without the plates... The plates.
1: They all know the importance of the plates. Mrs. Landis, I have news for you. I've got the plates. I don't believe it. Joe! Ask Lieutenant Saunders to come in, mister. Lieutenant Saunders, will you unwrap that package and explain to these people where and how you got it? Joe! This was found
2: by Navy divers approximately 2,000 yards from the
1: Oakland shore and 230 yards from the bridge. And in case you need something more convincing, here are two sets of negatives which are recovered from your shop. They've got us, baby. They found the one square foot on the bottom of the Pacific Ocean that held him, And they got it. By 10 o'clock the following night, Curtis and I were on a plane heading east. What are you thinking about, Tom? Joe Landis. Guy with his talent could make top wages, yet he preferred to work nearly two years on those plates, half-starving while he was doing it. Why? Oh, I don't know. Maybe to prove that he's smarter than dumb clucks like us. (laughs) Only you know something they never do. Nice, mild-mannered fellow like him. Why? Well, let's leave it to the psychology professors. Me, I'm going to catch a few wings. You left something behind you the night we visited Landis's printing shop. That's how she knew you'd been there. Must have fallen out of your pocket. Oh? Wonder what it was. Just a piece of cardboard. You got it here. Well, let me take a look. You better watch yourself with this. It's dangerous. Oh, let's see it. Here. What do you know?
2: A snapshot of me and the two kids. That was dumb of me. <laughs> you know what? What? Marion's begin to look more like a
1: mother every day. Yeah, she's a honey, ain't she? Uh huh. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The roping of Joe Landis closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men. The special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving income tax evasion and wholesale murder in the file case entitled Death and Taxes. Another venture undertaken for our protection by The Silent Men.
2: The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Douglas Fairbanks may currently be seen in the motion picture... Mr. Drake's duck.
1: Now, here again is Mr. Fairbanks. Ladies and gentlemen, in the last two years, two million out of the ten million civilian refugees in Korea have died of exposure or action of war. Please send any usable spare clothing and or blankets to American Relief for Korea, A-R-K, to Massbeth, Long Island, New York, or to St. Louis, Missouri, or Oakland, California. Please, and thank you. <laughs> Listen
2: again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government, for they are the Silent Men.
1: The Silent Men has come to you from Hollywood's Radio City. Now it's Tin Pan Valley on NBC.
0: Welcome back. This is an interesting episode just because you did have the situation where uh, the wife was just trying to save her husband from himself and from this entire thing. So the federal agents really had to uh, outwit her. And his is a case where you do feel a little bit of sympathy with the person who they uh, caught in, uh, Joe Landis, in that he got into trouble, got in over his head, and turned to this l- illegal activity in order to try to uh, claw his way out. I think there were a lot of dramas at this time, and the person who did it uh, did not tend to get any slackness you know in this time period i think the message that the programs were going for was here is this nice sympathetic guy who crossed the line and the law came down on him like a ton of bricks if you get into trouble don't go out and do like him and think you're going to get away The government, particularly the federal government, has resources that you can't even think of and they will bring you to justice and you will end up in prison for your trouble. Don't try this way. And that was really the message that I think a lot of programs went for. You know, there were different eras uh, and times when criminals would... Uh, You know, if they didn't do anything, something that was too bad uh, and they kind of uh, were repentant or something, that they might get away with it or find some leniency. But I think in the early 50s in particular, the message of just don't do it, just don't mess with the federal government, was the one that really got communicated more than anything. I did find it kind of curious, the clue that the agent left behind. Now, obviously, I'm from a different generation, and I don't really carry photos with me, you know, all my photos on my uh, iPod. But I remember my dad carried photos in his wallet, which I think is the common practice. So I don't know how just the photo would have been left Uh, In the office, Uh, you know, if if he'd lost the wallet, maybe, but the pictures, I I really don't know how they would have gotten there. Well, we turn now to listener comments and feedback, and uh, Steve uh, writes in uh, describing the podcast over on Twitter. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks junior, you're playing pretty much the same guy in each episode, but I'm really enjoying the series. One of my brother-in-laws is a special agent in the federal government, and he looks like an accountant uh, Well, thanks for the comments, Stephen. I would agree there the one thing is that there's not a whole lot of characterization. And I think that's almost uh, the point of it, uh, because it's trying to represent them more as symbols and as a tribute to the sort of work that they actually do. Uh, Steve also did have some thoughts on our recent Twice Told Tales special, uh, and he writes, These specials are great. Had no idea scripts were being reused like this. And and that's true, uh, because I talk about script reuse, But listening to it back-to-back really uh, does give you an idea of how this actually worked. Thank you so much for tweeting about the show, Steve. All right, now I do have one thing slightly heavier I need to address. I've gotten uh, some complaints about a couple of uh, programs that we play in recent weeks. And one specifically asked us to pull a series from our lineup. I've added a question to our FAQ at faq.greatdetectives.net. And I'm going to address this question of moving programs from our lineup due to concerns about programs no longer aligning with uh, 21st century sensibilities. It's important to remember that the past is another country. And whenever you're listening to old time radio program, or watching an old movie, or watching an old television program, reading an old book, you're in some ways traveling back to that time. And whenever you go and visit another country, things are going to be different. Some things might even be really wrong that are going on there. And much of it is just going to be different. And that's really the case with the golden age of radio. These programs were not written with the world of 2021 in mind. They were written to their time. Some of them, in many ways, were ahead of their time. And some of them have things in there that will make people from this time cringe. Perhaps justifiably so. But I find, despite some of the awkward moments, there's still value and fun to be had in the programs that we play. And generally, I don't go into detailed social critiques of each episode we play say, well that, that was uh, out of bounds and that would not be acceptable today. I take it as read that listeners to this program are adults or that uh, there are adults listening with them who uh, can ask questions or can provide instruction, you know, in those uh, cases And they don't need me to tell them how we are to behave and act in the 21st century. Moving programs is also inconsistent with the commitment that I make to play through each series from the first available episode to the final uh, available episode stopping that process when a listener becomes offended at a particular series would not be appropriate i also think from a realistic perspective if i were to ever embrace that sort of practice it would be the beginning of the end of this podcast because once you do that and you start pulling programs for not aligning with modern standards there's not really a logical endpoint, and if you think about you know nearly any program that we played you can find some issue with it from a modern day perspective because again it was not made for 2021. The public radio station out in Wisconsin made old-time radio for many years. They got some listener complaints and they pulled some offensive programs and the host and people working on the uh, their old-time radio broadcast tried to find things that Uh, were not problematic by modern standards. And eventually, they ended up just pulling all old-time radio off of the radio station. That happened last year. And so, it's just not a road that I'm ever going to go down. And again, this is kind of the last time I will uh, I intend on addressing it on the podcast. And if a program, you know, really does represent an issue for people, I'd encourage them just to skip that episode. We've had listeners all the time commenting on how they don't like, you know, Pat Novak for Hire or Boston Blackie or they don't listen to Stand By for Crime. My attitude has always been that that's fine. There are a whole lot of, old time radio programs I don't care for. Just because it was made 80 years ago doesn't make it good. Doesn't make it something I want to listen to, even though there's a lot that I do enjoy. And if you want to listen to something other than the episode that you don't like that we're playing on a given day, just go to biglist.greatdetectives.net. We've got a big archive of programs, but we are not going to pull programs that other folks are enjoying so i hope i address that and again i hope i don't have to address it again well i do want to go ahead and thank our patreon supporter of the day thank you so much to leslie patreon supporter since november 2018 currently supporting us at the chalmas level of four dollars or more per month thank you so much for your support leslie and that will do it for today If you do enjoy this podcast, be sure and rate it wherever you download podcasts from. And we also welcome your reviews. Join us back here on Monday for Casey Crime Photographer. And we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of The Silent Man. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.